Welcome to the Next Level Soul podcast, where we ask the big questions about life. Why are we here? Is this all there is? What is my soul's mission? We attempt to answer those questions and more by bringing you raw and inspiring conversations with some of the most fascinating and thought-provoking guests on the planet today. I am your host, Alex Ferrari. I've always wanted to help the audience take their soul to the next level. So I've partnered with Mind Valley and other amazing free courses on spirituality, mind, body, soul, longevity, wealth, and so much more. All you need to do is go to nextlevelsoul.com forward slash free. Disclaimer. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of the show, its host, or any of the companies they represent. Now, today on the show, we have a chilling near-death experience. Guest Vincent Tolman died for 45 minutes, was put in a body bag, and then brought back to life. And when he was on the other side, the things that he saw were awe-inspiring, profound, and he discovered a better understanding of why we are here, why we are never alone, and how we can live better lives. So let's dive in. I'd like to welcome to the show, Vinny Tolman. How you doing, Vinny? I'm doing great. Doing great, Alex. Great to be here today. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm excited to talk to you about your uh, extraordinary events that have happened in your life, let's just call them. Uh, which have, yeah, a bit, uh, a bit of a strange experience for sure. <laughs> a, bit, a, little, a little bit, a little bit outside the box, let's say. So, uh, before we get into your near death experience, what was your life like prior to you having that near death experience? You know, prior, I had kind of lived the ideal uh, single life. I traveled the world, lived all over the world. Um, I, I actually worked uh, construction primarily. Uh, and was able to, to pick up projects all over the United States, even some some projects uh, um, literally everywhere, everywhere I could uh, find a contract we could work. And so I did. I got the opportunity to live across the United States and internationally and um, even worked for about three and a half years in major TV and film. Uh, just working, you know, kind of worked my way from the bottom of the, the ladder as a, a stand-in up to it became a second second and then a second AD. So, it, you know, it was a fun, fun turn of, of life. And I felt like I was successful by the world standards, but I didn't feel happy. I didn't really have what I felt was happiness. I felt like happy was, happiness was always on the horizon and I was always chasing it. I didn't feel like I felt I had happy moments, but I didn't feel like I embodied happiness yet. Mm. And that was kind of my journey at that time. And part of it, part of it was bodybuilding, too. So I was an amateur bodybuilder at the time. So you did a bunch of stuff, my friend. Yeah, <laughs> you, were all, you were all over the place. I love it. And uh, well, when you talk about the film industry, you're talking you're talking my language now. So I've been in that business for about 30 years. So oh, there you go. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I know exactly. That's a carny life, to say the least. It is. It is. Yeah. And I was single. So. You know, being oh. single, it works easy with the film industry. But once you start getting married and want to settle down, it's almost impossible for, for some people. The divorce rate in the film industry is extremely high. Extremely uh, high. Extremely high because it's tough. It's a tough business. So tell me about that day that uh, everything kind of changed for you. Well, the, the big thing is we, me and my buddy, we found an, some amazing results doing natural bodybuilding with a product that was called Fernone to Hydro. 
And you could buy it pretty much at a GNC or a vitamin shop. Uh, but it was so popular, it sold out everywhere. And we were trying to get it. We, we got on all these waiting lists all over town, went online to try to get on some waiting lists. We couldn't get any. And we found there's a place in Thailand that it would ship it to you. So we're thinking, you know, I'd lived in Thailand for a few months and, and I trusted, you know, their medicine and, and they're pretty westernized society there. So I'm like, you know, what, let's order some, let's order a bottle. We get it to the United States, but our problem was all the instructions were in Thai. And Thai is a scripted language. It's not even Romanized. It's, and this was before Google Translate. There was nothing to, to, to help us translate it. We figured it was the same stuff. We opened the bottle. We smelled it. It's a liquid supplement. You take a little bottle cap of it. And we figured, you know what? This is the same stuff we have in the States. It's, it smells just like it, tastes just like it. So we took our little bottle cap worth. But our problem was, is the, the overseas stuff. And this was across the board. No matter where you bought it outside the United States, it was a 100% solution. But uh, the solution you're buying in the United States at the vitamin shops, they were 95% water and 5% solution of oh, the Jesus. same chemical. Oh. So our little bottle cap was like taking 20 bottle caps of the American stuff. And you were never supposed to take more than one bottle cap. A day. And, a, a day, yeah. And so, so it... It was instantly toxic for us. So I have to I I have to stop there for a second. Um. So the sentence, "Hey, let's buy some let's buy some supplements from Taiwan." Uh, <laughs> that sentence alone was like, yeah, I know. Yeah, that that alone was like, how old were you during this process? I was twenty five. You know, in your twenties. Okay. Yeah, you're, got, you're invincible. <laughs> you're a pat. You've got a pass. You were you were an idiot. I was too. We were all twenty. When we're twenty five, we're all dumb. Uh, yep. <laughs> generally speaking. Generally speaking. <laughs> I definitely concur. <laughs> I, I can speak from the male point of view. We were absolute yeah. morons. Um, yep. And you know what? Arguably, I might have done something similar because I also did you know, amateur bodybuilding when I was a kid. And I worked out a lot and I was doing obscene stuff that you could find all natural, but still like hu hustling, trying to get that thing that was steroids, but isn't steroids. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Right? <laughs> the result, but without the, the side effects, right? Yeah. So, so for everyone listening, when you buy medicine uh, or supplements from Taiwan um, and you can't read the instructions, don't take it. <laughs> yeah. That's our lesson or, today. Or find somebody, find somebody who will translate. For who you, you trust. You take it. Who yeah. you trust. Who you, who trust. you trust. There you go. <laughs> okay. So you take this toxic amount of this supplement, which is fascinating in its own right. What happens? Well, we each took our little bottle cap and our plan for the day was we were going to go up to a, an international auto expo and kind of walk around. And then we we're going to go do a workout and kind of have our normal day, uh, normal Saturday. It was a Saturday, it was Saturday, January 18th. And um, so we, we, that was our plan. We took, each took our bottle cap. We got in the car and we, as we were heading out the door, uh, getting into the car, we both felt it. It was hitting us really fast and it felt almost like a drunkness. Like literally, it felt like a drunkness. And um, I felt cold spreading from around my chest and my thighs, uh, like literally cold, cold. My body was becoming cold. So um, I said, hey, let's go get something to eat. You know, sometimes if you get a little too much of this stuff, you can get something to eat and it'll make you feel better. Um, so we, we headed down the street, about two blocks down the street to a Dairy Queen. And um, we pulled up. My buddy, uh, he was almost falling asleep as we pulled up. So I was like shaking him awake as we pulled in. Um, I, I remember like reaching over and helping him put the car in park even. He was to that point where he just was almost out himself. I stumbled into the restaurant 
made it directly to the bathroom, which was right by the door, went in there and it was a single use bathroom. So out of habit, just locked the door. And I, I proceeded to just pass out, passed out right there on the floor on my back. And I began to aspirate or vomit and, and breathe in my vomit, literally died right there, there and then. Meanwhile, my buddy, he goes in, he, he barely stumbles in, collapses on the booth and starts vomiting all over the booth. The manager of the restaurant come, comes over and sees this. He's like, oh my God, you know, he calls 911 and gets, gets my buddy hauled away to a hospital. My buddy ends up being totally fine. They pump his stomach. They, they treat him with a bunch of charcoal and he, he gets released out of the hospital the very next day uh, without any problem and, and no long lasting effects. But again, meanwhile, nobody knew there was another guy, me, in the bathroom and I was literally laying there dead on the, on the floor. And how long were you out for? So, so from the time that my buddy came in and they called 911 to get me out of the, it was about an, almost an hour. So they, we know for at least 45 minutes at the most conservative estimate to, because it was uh, 45 minutes between phone calls, between the 911 phone call to my buddy to get him all the way and then the 911 to come and get this dead body. So, uh, so, okay. So, all right. So what happened? So that's on the physical side of things. What mm -hmm. happened then when you started to transition? So uh, for me, from my perspective, what I was watching is I watched the room get very dizzy as I walked in there into that bathroom. And it felt like the whole room started to spin backwards. Like literally like the kind of like in the movies, how, you know, it makes it feel like the whole ground felt like the whole ground was shaking on me. And it was just me, of course, I was passing out. The very next moment, I felt like I was, I was like plunged into cool electricity. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And it felt very much like a fluid, almost a water, but it wasn't water because I didn't feel wet, but I felt electrified, literally in a good way. I mean, not in the like scary, but I felt just full of this, this vitality, this energy and instantaneously, um, you know, I, I body, I was bodybuilding pretty hard. My body was pretty sore. And as soon as I plunged into this cool feeling, a hundred percent of pain was completely gone. And I recognized that instantaneously, but then I recognized also that I was surrounded by just nothingness. Like I couldn't see anything. I could just see darkness. and out of nowhere, I started to see this like fogginess in front of me start to get clearer and clearer and brighter and clearer and brighter. And what it was is it was this scene of this restaurant, but I was looking from above, but I could see everywhere in the restaurant as if there was no roof, like no ceiling, no roof on this restaurant. I could see everywhere in the restaurant. I could see and hear the thoughts, feelings, everything that anyone was feeling in that building. I could, I could perceive literally the, the, the feelings of the cook. I could perceive the, the feelings and the thoughts of the assistant manager, the manager, even the, the, the two customers that were eating breakfast, this man and this wife. I could perceive what the man was thinking about, what the wife was thinking about. It was just so surreal. And my background of working in film, I, I kept thinking that I was, in a, I was watching a movie. I, I thought this is very interesting that the director, well, number one, <laughs> that, that the, the DP would actually be shooting this from above. Like, why would he decide to, he or she decide to shoot this from above? 
And then also, why would why would the director or the writer think that I'm supposed to hear everyone's voices? That's just odd. And I, I'm sitting here trying to process from from the paradigm. This must be a movie. And in no way did I think that that dead body was me on the ground because me was completely up here. Me was up here watching everything. There's no possible way that me was down there. It's kind of like if you're driving down the road and you see somebody in a car over there that's your car and they're wearing clothes just like you, you know it's not you because you're over here in this car, right? And that's kind of what I felt. I felt like, you know, that guy's wearing kind of my clothes, kind of looks like me, but it's not me because me's up here. I'm watching this. And I just proceeded to, to observe everything. I watched them haul away my friend in the ambulance. I watched them call 911 for him. I watched, so I died. I must have died instantaneous. The, the, the second that I went in there and passed out, I must have died just right then because I watched them haul him away. And I knew, I knew without knowing, I don't know how I knew, I knew he was going to be okay. But I knew that this other guy in the bathroom, that he was, he was in serious trouble, that he was gone. So, okay, so then, then what happened? So I, I watched them call the 911 the second time, and they're on the phone with the, the operator. The operator is saying, you know, feel, feel these certain areas for a pulse. The manager, he didn't want to do it himself, so he, he called his, his uh, like 16, 17-year-old assistant manager over and said, hey, you, you feel around here. Feel it. So he's sitting there directing her to do this, and the second she touched the body, she like cringed and pulled back. She's like, no, it's cold. It's cold. And as soon as they said that, um, the, the operator said, oh, don't touch the body. Lock the, you know, lock the bathroom, secure the door. Uh, we have a, a, some medics coming on their way. And uh, we're, we've also called police. So they've, they were assist, essentially getting uh, all emergency services there as soon as possible. And it was shortly thereafter. It was only about five minutes after that that an ambulance pulled up a completely different one than the first one. And this ambulance shows up. It's a three-man team. So there's two veteran um, medics, and there's one rookie medic. And the rookie is kind of the tag-along. It's his first live week on the job, and he's supposed to primarily observe and help out. And, and somehow I know all this. I just know it from, from the second they show up. I just know this. It's almost like he carried that as a badge on him, that he was a new guy. They're, they're processing the scene. They attempted uh, preliminary resuscitation attempts. They tried, you know, chest compressions. They tried a, a, a little oxygen uh, bag where they're trying to squeeze with their hand. And not, they weren't able to get anything, obviously. The body was actually starting to start, get a little stiff in the legs. So they, they knew this one was gone. They went ahead and bagged it. They, they took their time. There was no rush. They were there for about 45 minutes to an hour. While they, while they put the body in the bag, they got statements from everybody who witnessed anything, um, they, they, which was about four or five people. The, every, all the statements were signed. All the paperwork was signed. Meanwhile, the rookie is sitting in the back of that ambulance while he's waiting for the other two medics to, to kind of process all the paperwork, get all the paperwork signed. As they're doing all of this, he's sitting there back there staring at this body bag and feeling all these, these feelings that, like, why can't we make a difference for this one? Why am I even doing this? I wish that I could have tried harder. I wish I could have done more. And, and I felt that consistently coming from him all the way to the point where the, the other two medics came. They uh, traded some paperwork with a police officer that showed up right then. And then they began to pull away from the scene. Right as they pulled away from the scene, though, 
this is where it got, gets very interesting from my perspective. The heart area of this rookie medic, he's sitting in the back of the ambulance. So the, the rookie, they, they have a, kind of a jumper seat that's in the back that you're right next to the body. He's sitting there. He's staring at the body, but he started to glow. Literally, light started to form around his heart area, his heart space. And I'm looking at it like, hmm. And, and it's kind of funny because the, one of the shows I used to work on uh, was, you know, Touched by an Angel. So they, they would shine the lamp of, over people. Of and... course, it was Touched <laughs> by an Angel. Of course it was. <laughs> and so I'm sitting there thinking, oh, this is kind of like, kind of like, you know, our Caroline Productions where, you know, we put a light over and, and this kind of stuff. And, and I'm thinking, well, this is interesting. And I, again, I'm observing with this almost like uh, intrigue, like, hmm, this is interesting. Interesting to see what's going on. And as this light starts to form there, I felt a, a distinct energy like pass over me, literally went over my head. And as it did, I, I, I perceived that it hit that rookie medic, like in the heart space. And then very loudly, like extremely loud, I heard, I heard a loud male voice say, this one's not dead. And, and then it was silent again. And I looked around, I tried to look both directions behind me, I couldn't see anything behind me, I could just see just just like a dark fog. But again, I could still see very clearly in front of me what was going on in, inside this ambulance. And I saw the rookie think about it for a second. And then he shrugged it off like no, that there's no way like there's there's no possible way. And they they went about another block block and a half down the road. And that light that was just in his heart area, it actually got brighter and, and started to grow. And it went from his waist to above his head, where all that area of his body started to glow. And then that voice came a second time. And I felt it the same way as the first time, an, an actual energy go over my presence, over who I was. And it hit him, but it was even louder the second time. And it said, this one's not dead. And it just said it like matter of fact. But what was really cool to me is the fact that the second one was so strong and it was the same as the first, but much stronger. That was enough for this rookie to begin doing something. So the second he heard it the second time, he unzips the body bag. He has to undo these straps on the body just to even unzip the body bag. So he undoes these straps. He undoes two of them, unzips the body bag a little bit. He reaches around the neck area. He's trying to find a pulse. He can't find anything. He reaches under the arm area, can't find a pulse. It's cold, it's stiff, it's gross. And he's even feeling this, like this is a dead body. And uh, he had to undo one more strap. So now we're three straps down. He goes down and he's feeling on the inside femur area. And when he got on the inside femur area, he made contact with the actual femur bone. He was trying to feel for that uh, femoral artery, or I always say that wrong, but uh, the femur artery, the one that's near the femur. And he was feeling for that, but he actually made contact with the femur bone. When he made that contact, I felt a spark, like, like a shock, where I was sitting up here watching this, mo you know, this movie, per se. I felt a shock, and I, felt, I saw him jump right when I felt the shock. So I think that he felt it, too. And that was enough for him that there's got to be something there. There has to be something there. So <clears throat> he, he continued to unzip the body bag and did a couple more straps. He, he uh, began forcing oxygen into the lungs. Then he also uh, hooked up a defibrillator, and that is for the heart to shock the heart. 
And when he hooked that up, it makes this alarm sound right before it shocks the body. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. So meanwhile, the other two veteran medics, they're, they're deep in the conversation about sports. They're thinking about like the game coming up, this, this and that. Because um, it was right before, you know, the, the big game in the NFL at the time. This is, again, January 18th of 2003. So they were talking about sports and all this. Um, but when the alarm bell went off, the, the warning alarm for the defib machine, they both, like, turned back and saw what was going on. And they started to freak out on this medic. They started yelling at him, telling him he's going to get fired. He's breaking protocol. Um, how do you like to be fired on your first week on the job? just really going to town on him. And he just ignored it, completely ignored it. He let the defib hit. He let it charge and hit. Um, it did not do any result. There was no heartbeat. He went ahead and charged a second time. And again, these medics are chewing him out, they're chewing him out. They, he lets it go a second time. At the second time, he did get a single heartbeat, one heartbeat, and then it was flatline again. And that single heartbeat was enough to like shut up the the veteran medics they they completely stopped talking and they they knew something odd was going on here something very different and so the third round of shocks happened which he which that medic allowed a third round on the third round it was a steady but faint heartbeat continue continuous so he was able to get that heart started back up after the third round of shocks and after, after and over an hour after over an hour after easily over an hour and, and, and there's some estimates that say it's at least, it could easily be an hour and a half to two hours factoring in all the paperwork, the time I was in the body bag, all of that. Yeah. So it, it, well over an hour, easily over an hour, um, cold, dead and stiff. Um, the body came back. Now I was still brain dead. The body was still brain dead. And for three more days, I was brain dead. And uh, that's where I had my experience. I had my experience while the body was brain dead. Okay. So... I'm sorry. I have to process all of this. This is pretty. This is. I've heard a lot of these. I've heard. Of, I've heard a lot of these before. As as you know, on the show, this one's really interesting because you're, you know, you you basically have a verifiable NDE, and we should, we'll talk about that yes. afterwards at the end. Um, but okay, so you've been brought back. Your body has been brought back to life, or at least. It's brought back somehow. It is, yeah. The body is brought back. Yeah, the, yeah, the body's back. The brain's still gone. Arguably, mm -hmm. after I think it's eight to ten minutes of brain dead, it you're a vegetable. You can't yep. come back from that. And I've heard that many times from guests who have been yep. gone for longer than ten minutes, fifteen minutes. But yours is an extreme case. You're talking about sixty to ninety minutes, if not a little mm -hmm. longer, of of brain dead. You know, which yes. is. You know, you're in a body bag. You know, that's as far as you go. I haven't heard the body bag one yet. I haven't heard someone get into a body bag, someone unzip the body bag, wake them up and get them back up. <laughs> so, all right. So during this whole process, now your your body is at least revved, started up again. Brain has it. You're in a coma, essentially. Yep. What is happening at this point? So uh, up until this point, I still didn't know I was watching me. And, right. and again, the people are like, how did you not know? And I'm like, dude, I was dead. Give me, <laughs> you, cut, you, cut me you, some slack. Yeah. I was dead. <laughs> cut me some slack. <laughs> and I, I was, was brain dead. And I was brain dead to boot. <laughs> I'm brain dead but, and I'm dying. I'm trying to process this, guys. Come on. <laughs> so I'm, I'm sitting here just, I feel like I'm in an interactive movie. I really do. 
I feel like I'm in this interactive experience. And this is before big video games came out, but it, it felt like what we would consider a video game today. That's what it felt like to me. I'm sitting there watch all this happen. I watched them, uh, you know, once they got the heart started, one of the secondary miracles, the first miracle is this, this medic who follows this prompting or this intuition and, and takes action, you know? He literally could have been fired. In fact, he got in a lot of trouble, actually. Even, even the fact that he brought me back, he got in a lot of trouble for it uh, and became a fireman later. Now, all this is happening. I'm watching it happen, and I don't know it's me. They, they transfer the body over from the, the medical gurney into the hospital. And the secondary miracle is that there's a hospital um, a half a block away from the point that my heart started. So the second my heart started, they within seconds, literally seconds, they had the body transferring into an ICU ER and getting uh, triage and getting treated. They were able to get immediate treatment for this, this body. They were transferring the body over from the, the, the medical transport onto the hospital gurney. As they did that, the, the body itself was going through all sorts of convulsions and seizures. And, and that's, I guess that's norm. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not in that field, but, but I, I was not liking this. I felt it was disgusting. It was horrible to watch this body, um, you know, going through all of this. And they strapped the body down because they had to work on it. They couldn't work on it as it was just, you know, flailing all over. So they strapped the legs down. They strapped the right arm down. They, they went to strap the left arm down, and I'm left-handed, and again, I was a bodybuilder. I was really strong. I felt them strapping my left arm. And in fact, so strongly, I felt myself resist, and I watched. I watched the body break the left strap that they were trying to use to strap the arm. And, and so they went and got a bigger strap, a leg strap, and, and they strapped that left arm back down with a leg strap. And that was the first inkling I had that what I'd been witnessing, what I'd been watching this whole time was my own death. And it was a, an extremely scary moment for me because I'm, I, have a strong, um, I have a strong mind. I've always had a very strong mind and I'm very, very good at science and physics and that kind of thing and numbers. But uh, I, I'm sitting there trying to figure out how did I not know I was dead? How could I be so ignorant to not know that this entire experience I was witnessing was my own death? And so I had these, these self-diminishing thoughts, like, you're such an idiot. How could you not know you've been watching your own death this whole time? And as I, as I, I walked that path of energy of, of self-deprivation or, or the, the self-deprivative thought, as I'm going down that path, I started to actually feel and see all the negative flashes of anything I'd ever done in my life, literally all the negatives. Uh, from from being a little kid and I take someone's candy or or you know I push a kid over like from the littlest moments of my life that I could remember all the way till I was till I was having this experience I saw every negative thing that I ever did and, a, and kind, of like a, is it kind of like a life review and in, in it was yeah it was like in but screens it, but it was in flashes it was like it's it's kind of like if you watch a, a file download on your computer if you actually physically watch it you can see the flashes of the the, the videos or the, the film actually downloading. It's just like that. I saw instantaneous flashes, but I was catching and, and hearing and feeling the experience from not just inside me, inside the person this was happening to. So if I did wrong to someone else, even cutting someone off, I saw it all, literally everything I ever did negative. And, and I started to feel 
like I was not valuable because of all this, these, you know, if you add up all the negative things you've ever done, everybody's going to have some stuff. And I wasn't a horrible kid, but I wasn't a, a perfect kid either. But I'll tell you, I had a lot there and there was enough there that I felt like I wasn't worth saving. I wasn't worth existing anymore. And it, it, as soon as I had that thought, this warming presence came over me and it came over me from behind. And it's almost like someone coming up behind you and putting their arms on your shoulders and saying, no, you are worth, you are worth being, you are worth existing. And now I started to flash forward to see all the good things I ever did in my life. And, and again, in just little flashes, and I got to see it from inside the people I helped always. And I saw so much more good than I ever did bad, like way more good I did than I ever did bad. And, and I started to, to feel this message. See, you are worth existing. You are worth being. And, and that's when I recognized that this message was coming directly from someone behind me. So I turned around and I just felt, I felt the most overwhelming love, love that, that doesn't exist here. We get to see shadows of this love here. This love is so pure. And I call, I call it light love because it, it actually had light to it. Like literally as this light hit me, as this love hit me, I felt that all the traumas, all the hard, you know, self-inflicted and not, but all the traumas that were kind of damaged into me through my life, they washed away. They filled up with this love. It, it's almost as if I came as a broken man and this love healed me and made me whole. And I, I just wanted to stay there forever. I felt like this is so awesome. <laughs> but yeah. my, I... We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Again, my, my intrigue, though, got ahead of me because here I'm seeing a man. As I turned around, I see this man. He's a white man. He's got long white hair around to his shoulders. He's got a, a long white beard, very, very pink skin, almost like Santa Claus pink skin. And his, his skin, it glistened because there was light coming out of it, literally beams of light coming out of everything on. And of course, me growing up uh, evangelical Christian, I think you must be God. And I was really excited. I'm like, you must be God. And he, he just smiled and he, he just shook his head and said, no, son, I'm not God. But the first thing I noticed is he said that without moving his mouth. I just understood it, but I heard it in his voice. And then I, my follow-up question or my follow-up thought was, oh, then you must be Jesus. Even though you don't look like it, you must be Jesus. And, and he again just laughed and, and kind of shrugged and, and said, no, son, I'm not Jesus. I'm, I'm Drake. My name is Drake, and I'm your guide. I'm here to help you. I'm here to help you go wherever you want to go. I can help you go back to your body, back to your physical life on earth, or I can help you go wherever you want to go in this universe. And, I mean, to have somebody say that to you, <laughs> uh, I, <laughs> I'm thinking of, like, where do I want to go? <laughs> I knew I didn't want to go back to earth. I knew for a fact I didn't want to go there. That looked like pain. That looked like hardship. It looked horrible. And I, I could perceive that this, this all permeating love that I was feeling come off of him, I was perceiving that it, it came from wherever his home was. So I told him, I want to go to your home. And he explained to me that 
oh, that's, that's your home as well. That's where you came from too. So we can take you back home. And I said, yeah, absolutely. That's where I want to go. I want to go back home. And he explained that this wasn't just a journey of, you know, coming from earth to heaven or to home. He explained that, that home is such a different place than, than, than earth that I was going to have to take an energetic journey, meaning I was going to have to raise my energy to such a high level so that I could be home. Because home is such a high energy space. I couldn't just go there in my, in, with my low earth energy. I had to really raise and amplify that up to match the energy of home. Otherwise, I could not exist there. Mm-hmm. So he was going to help me on this journey. And that's when I, I, I almost pulled out my Christian card. And I'm like, well, I'm Christian. I've been baptized. I've been saved. You know, <laughs> I, I, take the, I take Christ as my Lord and Savior. So you can just let me into heaven. I'm, I'm good. You can just let me into heaven. And he, he again laughed for the third time. And he's like, no, son. He's like, I, he, and he said it this way. I love that you have all that. I love that you've emulated that in your religion. But I want you to know that what we're going to do is we're going to help you learn more. We're going to help you um, journey further on this path of understanding so that you're ready for, for going home. Because home, it, home has a lot higher understanding than even what my religion could teach me within the evangelical church. Mm-hmm. So I did. I, I began my process of, of journeying. And, and of, I've, I'm thinking, well, it's, it's all about love. It, it's all about love. I'm sure that's the first thing I've got to do is, is learn how to love, right? Right, Drake? And, and he, he again laughs. He, I kept him laughing pretty much. Obvi- obviously, yeah, you're, you're doing stand-up <laughs> routine for him. <laughs> but he, he explained that that love actually is very important, and love is the is the system that we exist in here. That that is love, but love in itself is not the first thing I need to embody. I actually need to peel away all the different aspects of who I am and who I was in the earthly realm, and I needed to come into an authentic self, a single authentic self. And once I could come into that space of being truly authentic, then I could begin my journey. But until I could get to that authentic space, I couldn't start building who I am and, and where I needed to go. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, that, that was odd to me because nobody ever had come up to me and said, be authentic, be authentic. There, there wasn't really this movement back then. Everybody thought we were all being authentic. He helped me show. He helped me see that I had a different aspect of who I was that was coming out when I was with family and with friends, and a different aspect that it would come out when I was with coworkers and with with um, different people at church. I mean, I had so many different aspects to my personality that I had to heal all of them away and see what was inside. And Drake helped me understand that in this life. We come into this life extremely authentic, and right before we go, yeah. we leave. We leave very authentic. So it's it's all these years in between. We need to get better at, at allowing ourselves to be authentic. And he explained that when we're authentic, we're vulnerable, but but we can't grow unless we are vulnerable. So if, if we're constantly pushing away vulnerability in our life, we're constantly pushing away growth. Mm-hmm. And it's in our vulnerable moments, our authentic moments, that we're actually able to grow. But yeah, that was the first and foremost thing I had to learn was how to be authentic. 
all on that. That was my most important thing. But that was still on the other side. Yes. Yeah. Still, still on the other side, but still long before I actually got into heaven. But I, I, you know, essentially Drake had to take me on a, a journey of 10 principles. He didn't call it 10 principles, but that's what it ends up being. So you're like on a walkabout. Major principles. You're, you're like on a, on a spiritual walkabout. Definitely. Definitely on a walkabout. Yeah. Okay. So yep. you go through all the, so you're going, you're basically, this is, this is a first as well. I haven't really heard this before. You're getting trained essentially, or at least re-educated uh, kind of. Because, yes. Mm-hmm. Because you, you know all of this in, in, at a soul level, but you've got to kind of be reminded of all this before you could even walk back in to the room. Is yeah. that a fair statement? Yep. Yeah, definitely. And I, I had to, I had to, uh, I had to embrace it really. I didn't have to fully comprehend it. I didn't fully have to digest it or, or ingest this, this, these principles. I just had to be willing to accept them. And as long as I was willing to accept them as, as possible truths or possibly my truth, mm-hmm. then I was able to keep, keep my momentum and keep moving on our on our journey on our walkabout yeah so and then he gave you these 10 principles he did one at a time he didn't he didn't lay them out as 10 in fact i never even thought there was any number of principles i just had in my experience and i've been sharing it for years and when we actually wrote down the experience for the book um my my writer partner on this book uh lynn he pulled it out he's like whoa bro there's 10 principles here there's 10 very distinct principles so that was the first that I even noticed that it was actually 10 distinct principles, but I've, I've been sharing that experience now for uh, 20 years now. So can you give us a couple of those principles so we can at least tease what's inside the book? <laughs> yeah. So I'll give you all 10, but I'll kind okay. of give specifics on each one. But, sure. you know, uh, number two is understanding the purpose of life. And, and that is important. The purpose of life is, is for us to learn to come to earth school and, and Drake helped me understand, if, you know, he showed me this ribbon. He showed me this ribbon that stretched from Earth out to the eternities, like way out to the furthest uh, edges of, of the known and, and unknown universe. And on that, he dropped a single grain of sand. And he said that the single grain of sand represents your entire life on Earth. And that, that like rocked my world. <laughs> But it also helped me understand that we need to not live within our tunnel vision here. And we need to understand that our life is much larger than what's going on here. It's much larger than what political party we, we uh, identify with or don't identify with. Or, or, or religion or anything. Or religion. Yeah, it, it's so much bigger than even our family uh, ties or family problems. You know, there, there's so much. It's, our existence is so much bigger. So. So that was the main thing is understanding that life is a classroom and not a courtroom. We're here to learn and not to be judged, but to, um, to learn, we have to go to, to essentially the principle three, which is love everyone. And uh, that one was easy for me. That, I do. I love, I love people. I love all people. The one thing that I didn't necessarily realize I was having a hard time with was loving all beings. So I had to start building this love for all of creation. That means um, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the pretty. Everything in creation I love now. And that was, that was the third principle. And then listening to your inner voice, listening to your inner intuition. That's the fourth principle. We all have 
intuition. We all do. But many of us, we drive up to the drive-through window of life. We order at the speaker. We say, God, this is what I want. And then we drive straight home without stopping. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And what happens is we've, we've got to give space. We've got to give time for God to respond or God to show up in our lives. And, and that's that principle is, is listening to our inner voice. And, and uh, that, to me, is, is one of the most important things that I've taken away is, is I have gotten really good at that now. And I help other people get really good at that, listening to their own intuition, listening to their own inner voice. Because God is speaking to us uh, constantly if we want to listen. And then that, that brings us to the fifth principle, which, again, this is a 2003. Technology was not a big deal back then, not like it is today. But I was taught very succinctly I needed to um, use technology responsibly. And technology is a tool, mm-hmm. a tool for great, for great, great things, for great change but also for horrible change. I mean, the technology in itself is a tool, just like a hammer. It could be used to build a home or it could be used to kill people. You know, we, we need to make sure we use technology responsibly and not just allow technology to kind of infest our lives, but to, to keep a healthy, respectable relationship with technology. But, um, and then that, that took me to my, my next principle, which is, um, release prejudice. Now, this is one I thought, I've got this. I'm the least, I told Drake, I'm the least prejudiced person you'll ever meet. I have two Korean sisters that are adopted. And I, I felt that I was uh, their protector, even though they're older, and they were probably more my protector than I ever was theirs. As a boy, I always thought, I'll, I'll fight their fight. Anybody who's prejudiced or racist against them, I'll go and take them out. I'll punch them out, send them to the hospital, whatever, right? I thought I was this tough guy. And so I, I told Drake, I'm the least prejudiced person there is. And he says, well, if you are, how do you feel about prejudiced people? And that was another mind-blowing moment for me. <laughs> he showed me how I myself was joining the prejudice team by, by hating prejudiced people. And he right. showed me on the, on the path of a racist, the path of a prejudice, that people go that path because in some way, they were a victim. And the way they react to being a victim is they ostracize or push away a certain race, class, creed, religion, whatever. They're choosing a category to, to react to their, their, their path of being a victim. And to truly love God, to truly love all creation, I have to even love those who are broken. And those who are broken are prejudice of all kinds. Mm-hmm. And and he also showed me that sometimes in within church, the most there's extreme prejudices there, and and sometimes outside church there's extreme prejudices. But inside and outside of my you know our churches, we find great people, and and true unconditional love and service, and that's what I needed to embody and understand. And that that brought me to exercising the power of creation. I was taught that that. We can create our own universe every single day. We have that capability. We have that power. And where we begin 
the first stage, the first step of creation is thought. So if we can control our thoughts, we're essentially helping control our habits. Our habits then help create our character, and our character essentially directs our destiny, where we're going to go with our life. But it all starts with our thoughts. So if we can, if we can master the thoughts, we can master creation. We can master um, and foster creation in our life in so many amazing, blessed ways. And, and that, that brought me to the next principle, which is avoiding negative influences. Mm. And, and the funny thing is, I was like, oh, yeah, I don't like negative people, Drake. I stay away from negative people. And he's like, oh, okay. What do you do before you go to bed every night? And I'm like, I just, you know, brush my teeth, wash my face. And he's like, no, 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 no. What are you doing right before you brush your teeth, wash your face? What are you doing? And I'm like, oh, I just check in for the news. You know, back then that was kind of what everybody did. You watch the news for 30 minutes to an hour every night before you go to bed. And he explained to me, he said, well, you know, how many of the, those stories that you're watching right before you go to bed, how many of those are a positive energy story? And I, I would reflect on that. I guess most of it's not. Most of it's some type of negative energy. And he said, well, what's going on is, is I needed to understand there was this special window in life. It's called the hour of power. And that's the 30 minutes right when we wake up, the 30 minutes right before we go to bed. And we have to make sure we're putting positive energy there. Because if we don't, we're, we're framing our life in negative energy by allowing the beginning of our day and the end of our day to be started and ended with negative energy. So it's, it's very important for us to honor the hour of power and, and avoid negative influences specifically in these windows of the hour of power, but also throughout our whole life. We want to avoid negative influences because those influences will eventually um, be directing and influencing our lives. And we think, you know, we, we go and stream something for entertainment and we don't even ask ourselves, is this a negative or positive influence on me? And if you're not sure, it's a negative influence. And if you're sure, you know what it is. You know it's a positive or a negative influence. So it's important for us to make sure that we're avoiding those negative influences in, in all their different forms. And then that, that brings me to the number nine principle, which is understanding the purpose of evil. And that was, that was pretty interesting to me. Mm -hmm. and, and Drake showed me, you know, I worked out a lot. So he showed me how as it, principally to, to have a life without evil would be like having a gym without weights. Right. So uh, evil in itself is paramount as an option the same way as good, as, as love. We have to have love. We have to have evil for us to be able to choose without one of those choices. So if God created this world where there was no evil whatsoever, there would be no growth. So is that what the heavenly realms are like? And that's why so we that's have to come the, down. That's why we, that's have, to come why down we have to come. Yeah, exactly. So, so here's what's funny. In heaven, the whole system is so permeating with, with that love that, that God has. And it's truly unconditional. You don't deserve it, but you get it. All of us do. We get this, this tremendous, unconditional love. And it is so strong that no matter what's going on um, around God, whatever God wants, we want instantaneous because we're in such synchronization of that love 
whatever God wants, we want. So we realized for us to grow, and God realized this too, we have to leave. We have to leave God. We have to step away from the heavens. We have to step away from our creator. And no matter what you want to call the creator, we have to step away from creator. We have to come into earth school, but we have to walk through a waterfall of forgetfulness, a veil of forgetfulness. Because if we remember, we're still going to be influenced by that love. Right. And for us to grow, we can't, we can't be influenced by that love. So we have to be able to come down here uninfluenced by that and allow ourselves to make decisions. And, and I learned very strongly that sometimes my worst decisions were actually good decisions because I learned from them. So that there is purpose in evil. Even when we make a mistake, as long as we're consistently learning and trying to do better, even our, our evil decisions or bad decisions turn out to be good for our betterment in the long run. And so uh, it, it is a, it's the long game. It's the long game to, to take that on. But it also explains why there's evil in life. There has to be that option, unfortunately, but, but also fortunately, so that we can truly have the agency to choose. And, and just like if you have a kid, if you have a kid, which um, I've got two kids, and you made all their decisions for them, and then they turn 18, they move out and they go to college, what's going to happen to that kid? They're going to be the partier. They're going to be the one that sleeps around with everybody. They're going to be the one that, that steps away from what necessarily is good in life because all of their decisions were made for them and they were not able to make any of their own. And that's why we're here. We're here to make decisions, to learn the power of creation, which is, it starts with our thoughts. And that brings us to the, the, my last principle in there, which is that to know that we are all one. And to know that because we are all one, for me to heart or to, to hate or hurt or harm anyone is to hate or harm me. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And, and that's when he taught me the principle of the pointed finger, which is, is kind of a neat principle. Um, so if I'm, if I'm over here and I'm like, Hey, so and so is evil. I'm pointing one point of energy towards them. I'm pointing one point of energy up towards God. But on the back side of that, I'm pointing three times as much energy back to myself. So anytime I'm I'm saying negative things about anyone else, I'm saying that negative thing energetically about myself three times stronger than I could ever put out towards someone else. But on the reverse of that, if I'm helping, loving, and caretaking for someone, or complimenting someone, I'm taking that same positive energy threefold, three times, back toward myself. Mm. And, and that principle alone can be life-changing, that if you're missing or lacking something, don't try to find it and, and embody it within. Go out and give that thing to others. The very thing you feel you need, go give it to others, and that's how you'll get three times much as much insight. Yep. And it's, it's essentially very profound to follow that. And, and I challenge people, try it. And, and you'll know it's absolutely a, a fact of life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that was, that was my 10 principles. By then, I actually was seeing heaven. I saw that it's a real planet. It's a real space. It's a planet. It's, mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a planet or a realm? It's a realm. But here's what's weird. If you were to take a sun and a planet and combine them, that's what heaven is. 
So light comes from within the planet itself and everything on the planet itself glows, like has light emitting off of it. So here in our realm, we have a, a sun that's exterior to us, that it shines its light on us. And it's the reflection of that light that allows us to perceive color. That's how it works here. But there, there's no external sun. It's an internal sun. So the sun comes from within there. So that's why there's so many colors that exist there that they can't exist here. Because the light comes from within. It's not reflection. It's not refractory light. Mm. It's, it's actually source light. And, and what's really uh, so crazy to me is that I could perceive and connect to God. God, the creator of the universe, the Allah, the everything. I was able to embody and connect to God through blades of grass in heaven, through flowers, through water, through trees, through just the air. You could, you could feel this tremendous love of the creator there in everything, literally everything. Everything had this love. And as I, I, I touch down in this space, Drake is leading me this whole way. I touch down in this space. I realize this, this heaven space is so large, you could fit thousands of our suns inside of it. It's huge, just so much bigger than what, what we could really comprehend. And um, as I'm, I'm sitting there, just perceiving all of this and, and experiencing all of this, this tremendous love coming to me through the grass and through the, the trees. I recognize that the, the whole system is built out of this love. The entire system, the system that is, is for us to live and exist is built out of this love. Completely all of it, all of it is built out of this love. So you're in, you're in the heavenly realm at this point. Um, you've walked the, the 10 path, the 10 principles, if you will. So your, your vibration is now at a, a level that you can even perceive or be in, in that heavenly realm at what mm -hmm. point, what, but and by the way, what else did you see? What other beings did you see? Uh, did you see things beyond your comprehension, <laughs> higher levels, so, and, all that stuff? Yeah. If we want to take this, um, <laughs> I'll say the coast to coast AM direction. <laughs> mm -hmm. There's a lot that I saw there, like literally in heaven, a lot of creation that we, we don't know exists. Um, but I'll tell you creation in itself, there's life that permeates all the corners of creation, life, intelligent life. Sure. So wherever there's intelligent life, there's beings. And, and within heaven itself, I did see mostly humans. But I'll tell you, there's just so much life out there. And I saw, I saw the, the coolest thing that I saw is I saw people from our future there. that They were already in heaven. And I saw people from our current time. But I saw people from our ancient past there in heaven. And so that was when I started to realize. And Drake showed me that time is like this rule for the board game of life. And once you step away from it, there's no such thing as time. So, you know, you, you essentially, when you're, when you're coming to earth, you, you essentially choose what time you want to slip into earth. And, and there is no such thing as time. It only exists for earth life or for the earthly realm. And, and so, yeah, there was people from the future, literally in, from the future there and our, and technology from the future, but technology that's very different than what we, perceive here as technology it was 
there was a university there that when people would go to the room that they wanted to enter to learn, they would have to match the energy of the room. And, and so to match the energy of the room, as they would like match their love energy of, of this room, then they were able to actually enter the room. They would um, like raise that love energy and then enter the room uh, and start learning and, and, and learning all the mysteries of the universe uh, unperverted by mankind. There is, there is no uh, uh, lying there. It's impossible to lie there. You cannot lie there. Yeah. So the other thing that's interesting to me is, as I'm hearing a lot of this stuff, it sounds like, you know, a lot of the ascended masters that walk the earth, the Jesus mm -hmm. of the world, the Buddhas of the world, they lifted their vibration to a point where they, they learned what they needed to learn in this realm and they could walk away kind of like in, in Jesus is, you know, yeah. Christ consciousness and Buddha consciousness, that kind of stuff. And it sounds that even when you get to the other side, you know, that there's still more work to be done. This is one yeah. part of it. And there are multiple, multiple layers, multiple realms or dimensions that you got to go through as you continue to evolve and grow yeah. and things like that. So we are not by by the at all the end of the of the line. We're not even. No. Mm -mm. We're nowhere to be even close to you. So even if you uh, graduate from this school, which yep. from what I understand from others, this is a tough place to be. It is. This is one of the tougher schools. In fact, when you look at all the different schools, there's there's many schools in the universe, mm -hmm. and and Earth School itself is one of the hardest, but it's also one of the the easiest to get the most growth. So if you want right. to. To like level up, in you a can lot level up. Growth. You want to level you up. Can. Yeah, exactly. So it's like a level up course. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of yeah. like you know, like I want. I if I want to go into that level in Mario Brothers, I in Super Mario, I'm like I'm gonna have to fight a bunch of stuff I don't want to. But when I get past it, I'll be that much stronger. Yeah, and you're and you're essentially leaping past a lot of people that are on there, like the slow track, right? Like the, the easier slow, track. gradual, yeah, easier yeah, track. Yeah. 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 Okay. So all right. So you're in this amazing place. Um, but you're here talking to me, Vinny. So at yes. one point or another, there was a decision made. Can you tell us about that? So I was just finishing having my kind of heaven experience. I just experienced water and water there, um, is, uh, fundamentally life-changing water there. It approached me and asked if I wanted to, to experience water. And I said, yes, I want to experience everything here. And so water came up over me and, and didn't get me wet, but everywhere that it touched, it, it essentially swapped cells and, and gave me new cells, like energetic cells. And these new cells were just full of this light, this light that just was everywhere there. And, and this light had love, it, it embodied love. So I felt, I felt like I was, I was now finally worth love, this unconditional love that was just being poured on me this whole time. And that's when the water uh, went back away and, and went to its little stream. And I was just glowing in this love that I felt just bright. I felt like light was coming off me now, finally. And that's when Drake approached me and he, he put his hand out to me and he said, Vinny, he kind of put it on one of my shoulders. The Vinny, this is going to be hard, but it's going to be worth it. And he brought me in for a hug as, as we were hugging. Like our two lights themselves, he was very, very bright, and like he had a lot of brightness to him. And I had, a, I was pretty dim. <laughs> I was the 
I was definitely the the short end of the, of these two sticks. When you brought us together, our our light combined was like four or five times what our light individually was. And we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And I was just experiencing this very unconditional love that it was healing me and 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 changing me and i was raised and i was i was abused quite a bit as a kid and i had a lot of black holes still in me even even in heaven i was still having this damage that was showing up to me and every little spot that i had that damage this love was going in there and saying I'm sorry that happened to you. I love you. I wish that didn't happen to you, but see how it helped you grow. See that even your worst things got you to here. And here is beautiful. And as I'm experiencing all of this, then very loudly, I'm hearing my brother, my brother from earth. He starts saying a prayer. And I look around. I can't see him. But I hear him as as if he's speaking in my ear. I hear him saying this prayer. And it's a, spe- a special prayer that that in some faith they give over a, somebody who's dying. And he he prays that I'll that I'll be made whole. And that I'll come back. And I feel just the strength of love that my brother has for me, which I didn't know he had. <laughs> we you know, we're two years apart and we're, we're always pretty close in size. So we, we fought a lot. We argued a lot and, and we wrestled a lot. We broke lots of mom's precious little things in our house. But I'll tell you, I, I could feel his love for me. I could feel how much he wanted me back to my body. And from that, I looked into Drake's eyes and I felt just the, the tremendous compassion of, of eternity there. And instantaneous, I went from seeing Drake to, boom, I woke up in a hospital. I woke up, to me, it was seconds later, like a second later. But uh, in, in actuality, my brother had said this prayer over my body in the hospital um, at about 9.30, 10 p.m. at night. And I woke up at 1.11 a.m. So I woke up at 1.11 a.m. I, I was extremely claustrophobic. Because who we are spiritually are, is much bigger than these little bodies. And, sure. and I, I felt as if I was a, an orca or a whale that was just crammed into a little sardine can. And so instantaneously, I, when I woke up, I pulled everything off of me. And if you, you know, on the back of my book and on my website, you can see my life support photos. And I had tubes coming out of everywhere. I yanked all of them off. Everything I yanked, every tube out of my throat, out of my nose, out of uh, my catheters, uh, my IVs. I yanked everything, and then I just stood there naked, just panting, like ah, like trying to not uh, explode. I felt, I felt like I needed to explode to get this energy out of me of of being in such a small body, this physical body here. And then I noticed that all these alarms are going off in my room. So I went around unplugging everything. <laughs> I did any, so when did somebody show up? So, so um, this is all happening. This is, again, at 1.11 in the morning. 
on a very quiet hospital. There was only two nurses on the entire floor, by the way, which there was only a couple of patients on the entire floor. It was a brand new hospital. And um, I, I looked around, I realized I was naked. So I had to grab like a, a couple of gowns I found in the cupboard. I wrapped them around my middle section and I just, I left. I walked out of my room and I, I looked both ways. I could see there was an elevator down one, down one end. And so I, I started walking, I started walking really fast down towards the elevator, almost like a jog. I got all the way to the elevator when I heard a scream and it was coming from behind me. And I'm like, oh crap. And, and I looked back and I, and there was no one there, but I could hear the scream coming from inside my room. So one of the nurses had gone in there and she screamed because there was no one there. <laughs> and even all the equipment was unplugged. So she, her brain must've been just thinking somebody stole this dead body for organs or something. So she's, she's going through whatever she's going through. And then she looks out the, the door and yells for the other nurse who's working that same floor. She comes running in and, and she's looking around frantically. They can't figure out where I had gone. And I'm, again, pushing this down button on the elevator. It felt like it was taking forever, even though it was probably only seconds. And then both of them came out of the room. They looked away from me. Then they both turned and looked at me and they both screamed. And then I was like, ah. <laughs> it, it like freaked me out too. And they both came running and they, they, they were just like, what are you doing? What, you can't do this. <laughs> and, and I did. I followed them back to the room. They, they made me stay in my room. I wouldn't put any IVs back in me. I wouldn't allow anything on me but this little kind of finger sock or finger thing that they would put on my finger. And every time they look away, I'd even pull that off. I just, I couldn't have things even touching me at that point. And, you know, this, this all happened at 1.11 in the morning. And, and I, I was released at 7.30 in the morning, uh, that same morning. But the time in between, from about 1.30 to 7.30, I was doing tests. I was doing scans. I was doing more tests, more scans. Um, they, they made me sign um, about 40 to 50 pages of release paperwork releasing liability of the hospital to myself because I was, they did not want me to leave. They wanted me to stay for 72 hours. They felt that Fair for enough. sure. Fair yeah. And, and, and here's the thing. This is what the neurologist told me. He said, in extreme cases, people will wake up from a coma. They'll, they'll say their love, you know, say their, their goodbyes and then they die. And he felt that I was in this kind of microcosm of this. He felt that at any moment, I was just going to drop dead and die. And, and if I didn't have medical services right there to carry me forward, I would die for good this time. And, and I didn't believe him. <laughs> I knew I was back. I felt like I wanted to go running. I really did. I felt like running was the best thing for me. Then I could feel like I was getting out of my body. Like I could get out of, of this sense of being in prison. I felt so imprisoned being in this body. Yeah. Well, what did the doctor say about you being brain dead? Like, I mean, so <laughs> I had, I, I met with uh, three neurologists altogether. And um, one was a, um, a, a psychotherapist as well as a neurologist. So he was, he was like trained from, from the thought side of, of the brain, as well as the actual chemistry. And he was, he was the nicest one. And, and he, he told me, you know, Vinny, what happens is your brain has this blackout and you also have this, this palette of your imagination and the palette of the imagination is going to go in and fill in all the gaps. 
And so he was telling me anything that I perceived while I was gone was just my imagination to disregard it. And he even said, he's like, don't placate what, what happened because if you play into it and you think it's real, you could end up in a mental hospital. He says that he'd watched it many times where, where people heard voices, they saw things, and they end up in a mental hospital. So I'm sitting there thinking, um, I, I deserve to be in a mental hospital because I remember. And now it, I didn't remember right away, but it was 24 hours later, it all hit me what happened to me. And I remembered it instantaneous. It all hit me. And so I had this whole experience. And I also was a very scientifically minded person myself. So I had my own ego saying to me, you are crazy. This was your imagination, just making things up. And, and I went, I took the path of getting some professional help to see if I needed to get on an, an anti-schizophrenic or an anti-delusional type medication to help me through this process. I was in the process of doing this, meeting with a doctor when this older woman shows up to me and, and now she was showing up to me like in her thirties, she was a spirit by the way. And she shows up to me and she says, you need to tell this doctor this amount of information. And I'm like, well, he's already, he's already telling me I'm delusional. So I'm, I'm not going to help him think I'm more delusional. And she wouldn't let it go. She would not let it go. She was like, don't you dare take this prescription he's writing for you until you tell him this information. And so this finally, finally, I kind of my brain processed it enough that said, okay, doc, I got to tell you something. This is going to seem crazy, but you already know I'm there. So um, I have a woman here. She's telling me this. I need to tell you this. He went dead silent for like 90 seconds. Didn't say a word. He pointed his finger at my face and said, get the F out of my office right now. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. <laughs> wow. And so I was like, okay. So I left. I left. Why? Did he find and, out why? Uh, well, later I did. So I was driving down the, I was like about a mile down the road, leaving that appointment. When I get a phone call and it's him, it's on his cell phone even. And he says, Vinny, I don't know what you are or how you are or how this even happened, but what you told me, I have never told anyone in my entire life. He said, not even his wife, not even his own mental health professional knew about what I had stated to him, that even himself, he had forgotten and blocked some of what I had shared with him. And I didn't go into detail or anything. I just said, hey, this woman's here. I, she says, I have to tell you this. And I just told him. I told him exactly what she told me. And he, he said that, yes, 100% of what I said was real as far as, as far as he was concerned. Like the things I said about him was 100% real. But I needed, to, I needed to figure out my own truth. I needed to figure out my own path. That He said that because I was able to bring truth out for him, he thinks there's, there's got to be some truth to my experience. And that I needed to figure that out myself. So that's, that's where I began my path of just trying to figure this out. Now, fast forward to seven months later, I'm at this little town in Wyoming. I'm sitting at a high school. I'm watching this presentation about the history of the town. And they're showing all these famous people of, you know, famous by, by little town in Wyoming standards, uh, of all these famous uh, men and women 
who founded the town and helped um, kind of build the, build the state of Wyoming to be what they are today. And up comes this picture. I wasn't even paying attention. I was like reaching down. But my girlfriend at the time, who I had shared my whole experience with, and I'd shared it so descriptively, she felt she knew who Drake was herself. She sees this picture come up on the screen and she goes, that's the guy. And I'm reaching over and I go, that's not the, and I froze, Alex, I froze. I couldn't move. I started to cry. That was my guide. Wow. In real life, that was him. But, but here's the, the weird thing. His name said Charles Kazare. It didn't say anything about Drake. It had a little D initial, but it just said Charles Kazare. And, and knew my grandmother was a Kazare. This is the last name. I, I went to her and I said, grandmother, I need to know who's Charles Kazare. And she goes, oh, you mean great grandpa Drake. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Alex said, <laughs> to that point, so for seven months, I thought I possibly still was crazy. Wow. But at that point, at that point, Alex, I realized that, okay, I have, I have to accept that it happened to me. I have to. Well, and, well, me, and from that time forward, I start to share it with people. Well, let me ask you, did you go, did you go find that, um, that, um, uh, the medic? The medic. Yeah, the medic. I did. did you, and did, I I mean, did. There, did you explain, because that's I, a verifiable so I, event. It is. And so here's what I did with him. I wanted to, number one, thank him. I wanted to ask him, like, can I buy you something? Like, can I? <laughs> I'm like, you saved my life and you broke protocol. You're even actively getting in trouble right now for it. He got written up really bad and, and put on suspension his first week on the job. So he ended up transferring a, a lateral transfer over to the fire department and that he'd been testing for a while. So he was able to get that done. But as as I was meeting with him, he was in that process of doing that transfer over to being a fireman. And I wanted to talk to him. I wanted to say, hey, man, I saw you glow. And he's like, I don't know about that. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I know you. I saw you glowing. And I saw you get brighter. And I, I heard the message. This one's not dead. And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, he wouldn't, he wouldn't acknowledge it. He wouldn't acknowledge it. But here's what he did say. He said, I just knew. I just knew there was something odd going on with you. I just knew it. And, and so whether it was the actual message I heard or whether it was just this, this knowing that he had, that he had to try, either way, it was, to me, is God's miracle that he brought me back. And then the second miracle is the fact that he brought me back when I was a half a block from a, a trauma center that specialized in, in cardiology, which that's, you know, bringing that back, that's important. You gotta, you gotta know what you're doing with that stuff. So um, there was many miracles with the whole thing. Now, fast forward years later, I've had countless times where spirit comes to me. They have information. I'm able to help those around me with it. Now, do I deliver it 100% of the time? No. I'm very, very discreet on, and I use my discretion on when and where I share that with people. Um, but I'll tell you, like, God is, is here everywhere. And angels are real. They're here and everywhere. And spirit is real and here and everywhere. And they, all of them want to help us, but they can't if we don't ask, if we don't knock. We've, you know, they, they're going to kick open that door, but we got to knock. We got to knock. And, and, and in this life, we, say, we stay so distracted with our entertainment and with our news and our sports. We stay you know, consistently distracted 
there's no time for God. There's no time for angels. There's no time for our ancestors who want to help us. And so what my challenge is, anybody who's listening to this experience, if you're that person that you you want some help, you you want some some influence of God, you want God in your life, and I don't care what you call God. I really don't. Like, God doesn't care what you call him. And, you know, God wants to have a personal relationship with you. So call him what you're comfortable. And if you're an atheist, call call God the universe and still be an atheist. But But the beautiful thing is, the universe or God, whatever you want to call our creator, the creator wants to have that personal relationship with us, every single one of us. And, and the creator has, has built this system with so much support from, from their side of things. Uh, but we, we walk around so distracted, we don't even ask for that support. We don't ever ask for that help. It's there if we want it. Just got to ask. Vinny, man, this has been a hell of an adventure you've taken us through, my friend. <laughs> no pun intended. Uh, it's it's it really has. It, I mean, uh, this is a very vivid, detailed experience, to say the least, my friend. Um, uh, I want to thank you for for sharing that story with us, and hopefully, it helps uh, people listening to this episode right now. Um, but I'm going to ask you a few questions. I ask all of my guests. Uh, what is, what is your definition of living a good life? Living a good life is enjoying and appreciating the relationships around you. And when I say relationships, I mean your relationship with light, with life, with your family, your kids, but I, even the relationships you have with your animals, with the trees and plants and forests around you, with the ocean, with the earth, with Mother Gaia. These are all relationships, and we get to take our relationships with us. We don't get to take our keys to our car, our houses and our mansions. We don't even get to take one gold coin. We can't take anything with us but our relationships. The energy of what we build on who we are, our actual character, that we get to take with us. So spend time um, honoring, building, and fostering good relationships with all of those things, even with the forest and the trees. And, and that will that essentially will give you space where God will show up. What is your definition of God? Wow, that's like, uh, mm -hmm. I, I, I love that one because God is so undefinable, right? Because God is everything. I like saying that God is the, the all, the everything. But God is also the I am. The fact that we can have consciousness and that we can perceive this this virtual reality of life here that is also testament to me of the existence of god because if there is consciousness there is creation period and there is creation in consciousness what is the ultimate purpose of life to grow to come to earth school to lift the weights of making choices of good and evil to climb that, that inner ladder of Jacob's ladder, to go from the fear space, the low density earth space, to the high density creator space, the, the space and spans of the creator. And how we do it is we climb within, not without. And, and we're going to find God in the holiest temple on earth, which is right here between these two temples. That's the holiest temple on earth. And that is where we can find God. We can find God 
showing up better and bigger there than we can ever find in a temple outside of ourselves or any place outside of ourselves. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Because the divine, the, the divinity, it only exists within. Beautiful answer to that, my friend. And where can people find out more about you and your book and the work that you're doing? Um, so I have a, a personal website called Living God's Light. I feel that I'm, I'm essentially called on a mission from my experience to share that experience. I'm not a proselytizer where I go out and say, you need to join this, do that, do that. Um, what I try to do is try to amplify people's lives, try to help them live a better, more authentic, embodied life where they can feel things because so much of our life here is to dampen or take away the feeling of things. And it's where we feel things, we get our vulnerable growing moments. And that's, that's amazing because you can, you can have some just beautifully uh, gorgeous relationships in this life if you can give yourself a vulnerable moment here and there and allow yourself to grow. And do you have any final words um, for our audience, Vinny? Yes. The most important takeaway that I took away from this experience is that take the best love that you can have as a human being the most unconditional, perfect love, and times that by eons, by trillions, and that's still just an eyelash to God's love, love that the Creator has. And that love is so strong and so unconditional that the Creator loves you exactly how you are right now, exactly how you are. Not, not who you want to be, not who you think you should be, but who you're showing up as, who you, who you are allowing your heart to be as right now, that's who God loves. Vinny, thank you not only for coming on the show and sharing your story, my friend, but for all the work you're doing to help raise the vibration and awaken this planet and everyone on it. So I, I appreciate you, my friend. I appreciate you, Alex. And, and thank you for your mission, man, because I feel that you're part of the army of light. And, and I'd say I, I'd even venture to say you're a captain in the army of light because you're out there fighting the good fight, being a good influence, because in that, that sacred hour of power, people are putting your videos and, and it really helps raise their frequency, raise their love energy. And, and to me, my brother, you're on a divine path. So thank you. Thank you for what you do. Appreciate you, my friend. I want to thank Vincent so much for coming on the show and sharing his story with all of us. If you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, head over to the show notes at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash 210. And if you've only been listening to this over podcast and you want to watch these amazing conversations, please subscribe to our YouTube channel at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash YouTube. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, trust the journey. It is here to teach you. I'll talk to you soon.